Hello, and welcome to Moonwise, a monthly podcast featuring conversations with women of power. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and in this episode, we bring you my conversation with healer, teacher, writer, and medicine maker, Shane Case. We talk about awakening the senses for nature connection and building your sanctuary in an increasingly tense world. We discuss her work with the plant people in creating flower essences, unlearning institutional knowledge, and developing an intuitive relationship with the natural world. We also talk about using the medicine of call-out culture without perpetuating systems of oppression. And Shane shares her favorite self-mothering practices and ways to cultivate beauty in daily life. Before we begin, I want to send a huge thank you to our newest Patreon subscriber, Oceana Miller. Over on Patreon, I'm sharing bonus content, songs, writing prompts, and other treats for you to enjoy. If you find value in our episodes and in this community, please consider supporting at patreon.com moonwise. Every little bit makes a huge difference. Thank you so much. Okay, on with our show. Born from the forest's edge in southwestern Germany and hand-fed by the prairie ghosts of her Lakota ancestry, Shane Case derives her inspiration from these two disparate landscapes. The world of the unseen is her mother tongue, and she uses this to bridge communication between the people who come to see her for healing and their spiritual guides. Shane is a mother, healer, teacher, writer, medicine maker, and an enrolled member of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. Each of these roles she holds with sacred intention and equal passion. Hi, Shane. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. We are both talking in separate locations in Portland, Oregon, where we both live. So I was really excited to speak with you about... A number of things. And when I was looking into your background, I was excited that you were born in Germany like I was and also in the south of Germany. So that's something that we have in common. Yes, yes. I um, lived half of my life there and half of my life in the U.S. And so I call both home. To start with, I would love to talk with you a bit about your work with flower essences. And I thought I'd start by quoting something that you say on your website, which I thought was really, really beautiful. And I'd love to dive into a little bit. The medicine of our time lives within the unique soul of the individual who is called to service, not in the traditions, techniques, or the institutions of higher learning. And I'd love to hear your your thoughts on on why that statement is so prominent for you. Yeah, I mean in a lot of ways it's what I live by not just in my work but in my in my life which is my belief that each of us individually has a unique medicine bundle within ourselves and it's really our work to investigate and open that bundle up and see what those offerings are. And so although I do say that it's wonderful to learn in structured environments, um, other people's tools and techniques, I, I mean, I have learned myself in those structures. I think that those are really just the scaffolding for our own inventive play about how we're going to interact with the natural world, medicine, healing ourselves and each other. And so, um, 
you know, as far as the people do ask me about the flower essences and my work with the flower essences, and I often say, I don't really work with the flower essences. I work with the, the plant people. And if they want to offer their medicine to me or to others in the form of something, whether that be essences or teas or burning, then I'm really the conduit or the flute for their music to be played. But I myself don't work with the essences. I work with the spirit of the plants. Mm, Thank you for that beautiful clarification. And would you like to talk a little bit about how you have developed that relationship of respect with the plant elders or the mineral elders? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, growing up, I did. I was born in the countryside of Germany, and then I spent time. My mother's side of the family is German, and my father is Lakota. And so, coming to the United States, I really came to the Cheyenne River um, Sioux uh, Reservation area, and so both of those locations were the landscape of my childhood. And And it's not so much, um, my memories are really rarely of people and they are more of just spending time outside. And my friends um, were often um, pussy willow, little, you know, the little buds and roots. And so I was really I was given an opportunity to run free in the wild. I was a bit of a feral child. Um, my parents were um, less interested in the parenting than they were of the, you know, whatever else they were going going on. And so my 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 parenting really came from observation, witnessing, and listening to my natural environments. And so um, I really do feel like the the trees and the river and the plants and the roots and the rocks raised me. And it was just that as a child, nobody told me that they didn't speak. And so I didn't have a reference point to say that those communications were um, anything different than what you and I are doing right now. And so nothing blocked me of that. And when I became older um, and started realizing that not everybody was having these conversations, it did become an internal kind of fear that there was something a little bit different or wrong with me. And so it took me a while trying to comb through academia and um, trying to prove somehow that I knew something in the world by, you know, getting degrees and such to come back to my roots and realize that those initial teachings from the wisdom of the rocks and the wisdom of weather, the snow, this frozen rain, I mean, it's those were the real teachings. And um, I actually had to unlearn everything that um, was being taught to me in institutions. So it was really just being with, and it was my first language um, between the plants and the animals too, and the rocks. Wow. When you say that about your first language, tears just well up in me because it's just so beautiful. And isn't it true that it's, it's so many of our first language. And um, like you said, a lot of our institutions of higher learning there perhaps well-meaning, but not um, nourishing that that innate wisdom that we have and that innate relationship that we have. And um, at least for me, I found in college getting really, really sad and really lonely because they kept telling me <laughs> that those relationships aren't real. And I just got so sad. <laughs> I mean, it's like, no wonder people are depressed. 
Right, right. And I think it's a way of divorcing ourselves from um, our our truth. And I think that so much of I, what I see now and our suffering, it really has to do with the suffering of that loss of connection. And we think, oh, if we just connect to somebody else, then relationship and community is going to satisfy that pain. But I, I, I think that's part of it. But I think most of it has to do with the relationship that we really have with um, the spirit of ourselves and the spirit of our planet and the, and, and, and the planet not being other, but um, our community and our family. You know, it's, it's not this inanimate object that can be studied with just microscopes. If you're a botanist, it's really something to be experienced in all of our senses, including our intuition. And I think it's that relationship that then builds our trust of self and then that builds our trust with others. And thank you for bringing up the senses, because that's something that I've really been working with to reignite that, you know, when we're little, we're, we're smelling things, we're tasting them, we're, what does the wind feel like? And, and as we get older, we may, some of us get divorced from that. And yet that's actually the real information and communication of our world. Yeah, absolutely. I have a six-year-old son and one of the things of greatest delight is really just engaging in the playfulness of um, our our sensual bodies, you know, just like smelling um, when there's everything to smell. I mean, you know, especially with a six-year-old, everything is like he, he'll sniff anything and everything and just, you know, including, you know, my armpits in the morning. And so like, it's not always like the thing that I most like him to be sniffing around at. But I think it's just like, it reminds me, um, for my own, I think my own playfulness and my own whimsy of well-being that our sensual, our sensing body is, there's nothing to get right or wrong there. It's really about, um, allowing, allowing to feel, what do we feel, you know, allowing to really take the time to taste and how much pleasure can be derived from being with. And I mean, I think of that in, in terms of rocks, a lot of people just think that that's, oh, the weight of the rock or it's the, you know, the color of the rock, but, um, it's not, I mean, rocks actually have a taste to mineral. And if you're really attuned, you can even smell the mineral. And I think that that gives us so much more information about how that's going to address our body. Right. So if you think about Amber, you take a, this is resin. It's usually ponderosa pine resin. Um, and it's, it's, it can be grated, it can be taken ingested, but if you feel the softness on your skin, you look at that golden hue, if you taste it, you can like even um, heat up like a needle or something and then just press it a little bit into that resin and, and smell and taste, you know, you're going to understand what that's addressing in the body. It's soothing. It's something that's like takes pain away. That's why little babies wear it around their, their, um, Next, when they're teething, you know, their, their properties are known not through our intellect, but through our ability to be um, aware of our, our sensing bodies. Mm. And then we bring the intu- intuition into that, too. Right. So it's almost like the senses are the doorway and the invitation into that connection. And from there, like I'm thinking of, you know, sometimes I'm walking and suddenly I smell 
cedar. And I'm like, okay, where's the cedar tree that's saying, hey, come over here. <laughs> and from there we can begin. And that's right. That's right. I, I, I do believe that our... Um, the trees and the plants, even if we're in like, you know, this very domesticated urban settings and we're looking at um, landscaping of hybridized, hybridized plants, it doesn't, those plants, it doesn't mean that they don't still offer potent medicine. You know, they're alive and yes, they're altered and changed and trimmed and made to look a certain way, but they um, have a, a vital energy that is still engaging with our senses if we pay attention and if we feel, you know, like just a little wee crazy enough to approach it in the subway <laughs> station, which there are ferns growing in subway stations. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we actually can derive um, medicine. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of, I once went to a Walgreens and in the parking lot in a little tiny patch of dirt, there was the biggest thistle plant that I've ever seen. And I'm just like, oh my God, you're right here. You're just like beaming your medicine in this Walgreens parking lot. Like this is so incredible. I was just like captivated. Yeah. And you know, we live in Portland where there, I do believe that there's a little bit more language around the paying attention of a thistle plant being as medicine beaming its information to, you know, whoever is there to look. But, you know, I also interact with a world that doesn't even see that anymore. They don't see the plants and um, much less have any kind of language or connection to what that might mean. And so I think that the vitality of um, those who have you know, a passion for seeing and sensing the artists, the visionaries, the healers, the teachers, it's the warriors, you know, the leaders of the world. It's, it's sort of like, it's our, it's our, it's our job really to bring people back into that language and bring people back into the, the poetry of being with instead of being separate from. Yeah. I, I guess I'm, I'm curious if you have any advice for people who, for whom this conversation is really captivating, but they don't maybe know where to start with kind of opening up this realm. And it sounds like it's kind of in the paying attention and in the senses. I think it's also just giving oneself permission. I think it's the permission of play. And a lot of times the reason why um, people end up, you know, not really having that relationship to plants or to the natural world or to rocks is because there wasn't a lot of invitation into um, a safe place to play as, as a child and that they became, you know, more hypervigilant about survival and taking care of themselves in the, you know, in, in, a, in a world that um, didn't afford them a lot of spaciousness and time to be bored with plants, which I think is the most beautiful place to be. And so, you know, it's like, it, it's first giving oneself permission to just be playful, just be playful about um, the interaction with a plant. You know, sometimes I say to my students um, when they're, beginning again that relationship with the natural world is just take a walk around the block and see who's saying hi 
just say, who's calling my name? And it could be like, you know, a regular stone, not even a gemstone. It could be like a branch sticking out of, you know, side of a building. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be this wild orchid somewhere. You know, it can be just something that you don't know the name of. It could be a patch of grass, but you'll know, you'll know it's calling your name because you said, who's calling my name? And immediately plants, animals, birds, they say me, me. They all want to communicate with us. And so it's, I think it's that, that energy of playfulness and an expectation of being met. You know, so many times we like are so afraid that nothing's going to show up if we enter into an intuitive world. And that's just not possible. It's not possible at all. And um, I think, though, that we get shut down and fearful because we have an expectation based on somebody else's experience of what that should look like or feel like or seem like instead of just tuning into our own our own feeling state and so I think it's um yeah take a walk see who's saying hi and then say hi back introduce yourself you know like hey my name is Shane what's up? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like have a conversation. It, it, it's, it's, um, you know, if we can do it with people, we can do it with plants and we can do it with rocks and crows. And how beautiful, um, when those relationships start to develop that we're no longer alone, we can walk down the block and be surrounded by friends. We could be in a foreign landscape and, and recognize a friend. Oh, there's Cedar here too, or make a new friend. How, how beautiful. Yes. Yes. One of my, um, so I, I, I went to school on the East coast. And so I, I have a lot of friends who live in New York city and coming out to New York city to visit them was for a while, kind of like a shock to my system. And I, um, I have um, narcolepsy. And so what would happen is, is I would get on the subway and it would be kind of overwhelming to me. And then I would, you know, fall asleep and end up in some, some place at the end of the line. And so I was just like trying to figure out how am I going to like stop falling asleep in New York city? How can I be in the city without like constantly (laughs) being unconscious, you know, and being safe that way too. And as soon as I realized that there were other beings that I knew around, which were the plants, I just started focusing on, well, where can I find plants? And that's why I know ferns grow in the subways is because I would, I would focus on where are those plants. And as long as I was connected to this familiar um, friend, I didn't have any problems at all. I was totally fine. And I don't think I've ever fallen asleep on a subway since. Now, don't take me to, you know, a concert or something with a bunch of people or a movie uh, during the holidays because I most certainly will have a narcoleptic episode and totally fall asleep. But um, other than that, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, gosh, there's so many things I want to ask you about. And, And before I do, is there anything that you're working with right now or that you're seeing coming up with your students that feels just like potent for you at this moment in your work? Well, I'm about to start another um, year of mentorship in just a week and a half on March 10th. And so um, I don't know what's coming up with my students right now. But what I'm really sensing and feeling 
um, and listening, listening to in the milieu of spirit talk, I guess I would say, is this real need to take care of the nervous system right now. This um, almost like this um, womb state of like, where do we find safety? There's so much information happening and there's so much energy of, um, of, you know, tension, I would say in the world, um, from, you know, all the way down from, um, our political situation to social events to, you know, the way in which, you know, we are interacting with the planet. And even if we're not, paying attention to news or it doesn't even matter which side of the fence we're on, we're still energetically subject to all of that fear and all of that tension. And so in my one-on-one practice, in my, um, in my office, I am seeing a lot of people who are really deficient in the yin energies. That's the maternal energies. That's the nurturing energies. It's around their nervous system. I feel like the myelin sheath has definitely thinned over the last four years, five years, 10 years. And so people are much more sensitive, energetically aware, but it's not like an awareness that's necessarily feeding them, feeding their souls. It's one in which are sending people um, into a kind of fear base or overextension where they're exhausted all the time or they're paralyzed with so many options they don't know where to put their creativity or a feeling of, um, you know, uh, like a loss of passion. And I think all of that comes from when our nest isn't soft enough. You know, when the sanctuary of our body, mind, spirit isn't tended to, and it feels like there isn't a holding place, people don't feel held. And um, although there are the lucky few who um, have that feeling of being held in a home or in a family or partnership, you know, the thing is, is anything at any time can happen to those external Um, places that we place that need. And if we haven't cultivated within ourselves that softening and that holding and that um, way of nourishing ourselves in a, in a sustainable way, then, then we suffer. And so um, I know that beginning this mentorship, I'm putting a lot of attention into lining the nest with as much softness and practical skills, skill building of like, what does it really mean to tend yourself every day? Like, what does that really look like? And what are your tools and what's meaningful to you? And really getting those um, mothering practices down. And I don't mean mothering by like the gender role. I mean, like the real yin practice of taking care. Mm. And are there some practices that, that you do? Well, I mean, this is my personality. And for me, it's like, my practices really have to do with the cultivation of beauty in my life. So everything I do, and, and I'll tell you what some of those things are, the, um, the most important is, is, is it beautiful? And am I receiving it as, um, an act of creative beauty? And sometimes I think of myself less as a healer and a teacher and more as a performance artists and I've never been to Burning Man but I imagine it more like the Burning Man variety in which it'll be gone in 24 hours whatever it is or maybe even 10 minutes 
So some of those practices right now for me um, are oiling my body. So really paying attention to, I put raw sesame oil and right now I'm using lavender and rose oil and sandalwood, mixing that in um, in sesame oil and rubbing it on my feet at night and during the day to calm. I also use um, oils on my wrists and pulse points and then making sure the food that I'm eating is always prepared by me right now. That feels really important for me in my self-care and that the food is beautiful. I have a rule for myself and it's just maybe a creative outlet, which is each meal that I have has to have at least five colors and even if I'm making my son pancakes, I say, well, I have to add five things that are going to be like nourishing those pancakes. And so it might be maca powder or hemp seeds or blueberries or cinnamon. But, you know, it's just really getting this variety um, of color and texture into uh, the foods that I eat. Um, making sure right now that I'm drinking a lot of Nervine teas, such as nettles and oats and um, skullcap and lemon balm are good. And of course, take flower essences all the time. And making sure that my home is a place of intentional um, object placement. If I come home and I don't feel invited into beauty, um, I'm not going to want to spend time relaxing in that environment. And so it's very simple. My home is very simple that the things in my house, I don't have knickknacks, but I'll just show you. I know people can't see who are listening, but the things are just like rocks, <laughs> rose quartz, quartz, you know, sticks that I found. My whole house is basically um, a uh, nature altar. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, going to bed. I'm just going to list a few more things here. But um, going to bed early has been really helpful for the ner- my nervous system, but it's also helpful for everyone's nervous system. So going to bed before 10 o'clock is um, key for the organs to do the things that they need to do to regenerate and be um, ready for the day. And the other thing is really cultivating um, an internal language I'm careful about what I subject myself to in terms of news, in terms of movies and radio. It's not that I live in a bubble. That's, I mean, I'm, if news is important, I'm sure somebody will tell me what's important. But I really try to minimize during this time of lining my nest, um, bringing in uh, stories or um, sounds um, or information that um, triggers anything of fear in my body. I don't need that. I'm trying to like tend my nervous system. And it doesn't mean that I still don't participate in the world when it comes to um, activism, but I need to do it from a place of well-tended nest before I can be out in the world and share a voice of meaningfulness. Thank you for those practices. They're simple and they're not expensive and it just takes a little bit of, yeah, thought and, and care towards ourself. Like we don't, yeah, don't need to watch the fear-based news program right before you go to bed. Cause then how are you going to sleep? <laughs> and I struggle with that with my phone. Sometimes I'll check my phone and I'll see something on Facebook and then I'm like, Oh, great. Now I'm 
not feeling calm enough to go to sleep. So I really want to work on that. Also the language that we bring to ourselves when we do like engage in something when we're like, ah, I eat chips for dinner. Like I do too. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I listened to a podcast about a serial murderer, like two months ago. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I do those things too, but it's really about like, what is the language when we say, Oh, that didn't really tend myself instead of being like harsh and being like, you know, pointing the finger and being like, look at you, you didn't do that. You know, it's like, no, it's just like, uh, I'll try harder next time. Or I'm, 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 I'm aware right now and being really super soft and, um, accepting and loving and tender in the way we speak to ourselves. Mm, Wow. That's beautiful and so important. Yeah. Not something you learn in school. (laughs) (laughs) Or in most cases, not at home either. (laughs) I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something that you've spoken on before, which is using the medicine of call-out culture without harming ourselves with the same oppression we started with. And it's a, it's a, seems a little bit like a a different topic, but actually, as I think about kind of like gentleness and tending, I think that this could be an arena where as a community and a collective, we can start to work through and think about in a different way than maybe we have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about this subject a lot. Um, and, you know, I, it, I think that everybody um, has their their way and reasons for the use of a tool of communication, the call-out communication. And historically, that tool was used um, and has been used um, when there's been no other way to get the attention of um, a situation of oppression. And um, what I do see now more commonly is it's a go-to place of redirecting pain, anger, shame that is residual from years of oppression, no matter if it's socioeconomical, um, cultural, there's so many ways, you know, that we experience oppression. So it's a way really of taking our pain and assigning um, somebody uh, that energy. And it is energy, right? Um, But the thing is, is that energy doesn't, um, when we do it from a place of pain and without a consciousness of connection and compassion, it doesn't have an opportunity to create transformation. So the energy of anger, which is contraction, which is illness and disease, um, then gets transferred over whether that person that's the aim of the call out is, you know, most likely they're already contracted. So they're not really receiving it anyway, but now we're generating an energetic milieu of contraction. And we know from science that um, the precursor of all diseases is, is contraction. It's the body's um, way of, of um, well, it's inflammation, but it's also the body's way of protecting. But in that protection, we're not actually circulating, right? We're not circulating. We're not creating transformation. And so for me, looking at it through the energetics of how we're 
trying to create a more um, harmonic existence with all beings. It's really about every individual taking personal inventory and having an integrity of what is it that I want rather than, you know, what is it that my pain doesn't want to stay inside of me. So I want to give it to somebody else. Right. I mean, it's not that I'm, I think about these things because I'm participating in those things, right? Like I feel them myself. And so, um, I, I really think that the, the harm is, is that the more that we exude this contraction energy, the more our heart aches and the more our heart aches, the more that we suffer. And so what we really want to do is go back to ourselves. And yes, it's still appropriate at times as a last resort to use call out as a means of creating a connection for meaningful dialogue to happen, for change to happen. But first, it's important for each person to really look inside and tend, like we're going back to that place of tending um, with softness, compassion, understanding, because the other person's never going to understand you. You know, Trump, I'll just say, is never going to understand the needs that you have towards humanity. It's not going to happen. So the more you put the anger towards that out there, the more contraction energy is, the more that disease is populated. And so then it's up to us to say, where do I get my tending? Where do I need to um, pay attention to my humanity towards myself? And where do I need to cultivate the compassion towards these pains and wounds that are long for some of us, like long term and not just happening in the present moment. And, um, and then through there, we're actually moving through to a base of um, really opening with wisdom and a higher self, a greater part of our spirit, which is trying to engage the world, not just singling out one person, but we're trying to engage the world in a meaningful way of connection towards healing. And, you know, oftentimes I say to myself or I, I look inside myself, especially when I'm just having an argument with one person and back and forth with nasty texts. Let me just tell you that happens, right? Occasionally. But I will really call upon like um, people that I have felt their energies through, you know, studying texts or being with them. And I will really ask myself energetically, you know, if I could mirror, use my mirror neurons to like mirror that stance of, um, being a strong advocate and being, um, a leader, but also being of compassion, what would that feel like in my body? And then what would my dialogue say? And what would I actually do with my time, particularly in social media? It's so true that when we really ask ourselves, what do we really want in terms of transformation? It's not just to make someone feel bad or to tell them that they're, they're, not informed, but to actually, um, open the door to more understanding and more learning and yeah, more healing. So it makes sense that we would want to approach it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, just a little bit of background for me is my, you know, my, my father's family, um, come from the Cheyenne river Sioux tribe and there is, such a deep, complex, and long-standing um, oppression socially 
but it doesn't just look like something on the surface. It's actually something like that historical um, transgenerational trauma lives in the blood and has a way of reactivity of fight or flight in some, I live in Portland now. Right. And then, and there's still that, like that place of injustice and fighting comes from a place of protection. It comes from, you know, hundreds of years now of, um, oppression that continue to this day. And so I have this like very close relationship with anger and um, with uh, injustice. And sometimes when I sense something being not right in just a common communication, that all of those years and all of those ancestors want to flow through and um, the, the imbalance parts, not the wisdom parts, right? And, um, you know, then my question is, is to myself is, you know, given that history that lives inside of me, what am I doing for myself to create healing, you know, or am I just going to be just another rung in the ladder of trauma and suffering? You know, it's my choice and my decision, and I actually have to wake up to that. Yeah, I live these conversations daily in a household um, where we're, you know, a mixed race couple, and um, we, you know, it's personal, it's political, it's everything. And so we've definitely had to do a lot of looking inside at (laughs) where things are coming from. And I think, um, many people, um, you know, we, we all do have ancestors and whether they've been quote unquote oppressors or oppressed that there's things to be worked through. And, um, yeah, gosh, (laughs) it's a big topic. And just to clarify, we all come from oppressors and oppressed. All of us. All of us. We all have ancestors. We might not know of them. They might be ancient ancestors. But because we have the dichotomy of within our human self, the good and the evil, the left and the right hemisphere, it means that we also have the oppressor and the oppressed. And so we all come to the to the, to the plate with very um, similar um, polarities of, of our history and intentions. As we wrap up, is there anything that you would like people to know about your work or is there anything that you're seeing kind of in the collective that you think would be um, important to, to address before we go? Um, well, I guess I just wanted to say that uh, you know, I work in Portland, you know, for profit so that I can take that money and work, um, in my, at my reservation for not profit. Um, I, I actually just funnel the money to them. And, uh, one of the, the part of the work that I do there is not only, um, doing a a conservation project of making flower essences on native land using native plants, but it has more to do with engaging the youth and the children in the process of medicine making and that dialogue again with the plants and the minerals and the seasons and the animals. And, um, that is my heart work. It is my passion work. It is, uh, the reason why I work so hard in Portland. Um, 
And that project, if anybody's interested in supporting it, it's called Toki Amanwani Project. That's the Lakota name of my great-great-grandmother who uh, survived Wounded Knee, which is why I'm here today. Um, And uh, so I think, you know, the reason I mention that is I think there is, it's, you know, as adults, like just find just find those children, you know, have that conversation. If any children are in your life, just having that conversation that's outside of the narcissism of just our human selves, but just go outside and say, you're not the only one that exists here. You don't, you can't live in a bu- bubble of your creative thoughts. We don't live in air. We live with the earth and we live with these other growing um, family members. And, um, so I guess the invitation is to bring that dialogue to other people, have that conversation and particularly engage in the playfulness with children, make a mud pie, you know, so they understand that there's a creative co- collaboration, um, between nature and themselves. Hmm. And your project sounds amazing. And I'm just curious, what has the response been, um, from the youth there with, with some of this work? Well, I've, you know, it's been taking me some time to cultivate those relationships. And so generally what I've been doing is, um, just going and, uh, making medicine around kids and then just letting them come and participate in there. Like they can tell me what the flowers are saying way before I even get that sense of it. I mean, they tell me right away, oh, this plan is for happiness. This plan is, you know, when you feel really sad and that, you know, they just go around and they already know. Um, but then, you know, where, so that's one place is just letting it kind of organically, um, uh, happen. But another thing is, is, um, the, there's a, the Cheyenne river youth, um, project just happens in Eagle Butte. And it's basically, um, people from outside the community can come in and share something with the youth in a more structured way. Um, and so right now I'm in the process of working with Jericho widow, um, to, to go back and do like a service project with, um, some older kids. Yeah. And really just working with their gardens and plants and the rocks and having those conversations. Anybody can actually do a volunteer project with the Cheyenne River Youth Project. Mm, Okay, wonderful. And just to remind our listeners where they can find and support your project, is that at shanecase.com? Yes, yes. And there's, uh, on my website, there is um, uh, a place you can go called Toki Amanwani, and that's the project. And for anyone who wants to know more about working with you directly, what do you offer currently and where can people find that? So I do have um, a one-on-one practice here in Portland, but it's not just in Portland. I do over-the-phone work all over the world. And so I'm just making an appointment with me. And so what I do is I, I talk with spirit guides, their spirit guides. Um, and we listen to the wisdom of their guides and then we support with um, flower essences and gemstones and sometimes practical tools to help people on their way. So connecting with me through 
um, making an appointment with me. And then I also do year-long mentorship programs. And so if people are interested, they can always write me and getting on, get on a waiting list for next year. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Shane. It was an honor to have you on the show. And yeah, really looking forward to continuing to follow your work in the world. Thank you so much. And thank you for um, making this venue. Thank you for listening to the show. I want to let you know that there's a free booklet available to download on the moontent.co website. Moonwise, A Guide to Celebrating Your Cycle is a 28-page PDF that's filled with information and my best tips for honoring the four phases of your monthly cycle. Get your copy by signing up at moontent.co slash newsletter. You can hear this month's lunar forecast and other episodes on moontent.co as well, or subscribe to the Moonwise podcast on iTunes. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Our theme music is by Sophie Cooper from her album Rewilding, and she's sharing brand new offerings over at voicealchemy.com, so go check out her work there. See you next time.